Indigenous podcast series, Privileging Indigenous Oral Traditions, Past, Present, and Future, speaks to issues of concern for Indigenous people and non-Indigenous people in Canada. If you are an Indian residential school survivor, or you are the descendant of an Indian residential school survivor, and feel that you would benefit from discussion with a counselor or someone providing support following this podcast, please call 1-800-721-0066, which is the Indian Residential School Survivor Society, and ask for support. Again, that number is 1-800-721-0066. To schedule a counseling appointment, if you're a student at Thompson Rivers University, You can drop in to the Faculty of Student Development Services, reception between 8.30 and 4, Monday to Friday in Old Main, 1631, or you can call 250-828-5023. Waikatipa. Hello in Shikwekmashim. Welcome to an Indigenous podcast privileging oral traditions past, present, and future. Francis Rasquez. I just said, my name is Francis in Machine. I am Francis Makapagal Madalozo. I come as a learner with a unique perspective and nuances of my identity. I am a second generation Filipina Canadian, a Catholic, an educator, a graduate researcher, wife, mother, and recent graduate of the Master of Education program here at Thompson Rivers University. The reason for stating, with all transparency, the totality of my identity is to better understand how I can listen, learn, and grow through committed reliance with Indigenous leaders, scholars, and mentors. It was through being in an Indigenous research course taught by Dr. Mukwat Masayat Shelley Johnson that I have come to understand why the Chief Commissioner of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission Commissioner Honorable Murray Sinclair said, Reconciliation is the responsibility of every Canadian. I am accepting this responsibility. I am truly thankful for being able to study on the unceded and traditional lands of Tecumloops Tishikwekmek, where TRU is located. It is on this land that I have studied and learned my responsibility towards reconciliation. I am joining virtually from the traditional lands of the Katsi First Nation located in the lower Fraser Valley region of BC. Today's episode will be equipping educators with tools towards truth and reconciliation with an intercultural and interreligious perspective. Our special guest today is Maria Lucas. Maria Lucas is a Black Métis woman whose heritage inspired her to study Indigenous Crown relations in a historical and political context in her undergraduate degree, which she completed at the University of Toronto. In her studies, she discovered 
the unique legal framework that informs Indigenous people's relationship with the Crown. And she came to understand that the law is key in reconciling this relationship. As a result, she was prompted to pursue law school. She completed her Juris Doctor at the University of Ottawa with a specialization in Aboriginal law and Indigenous legal traditions in 2019. She was recently called to the Ontario Bar as a lawyer. Maria is also a co-founder and secretary of the Indigenous Catholic Research Fellowship, and she currently serves as the Indigenous Government Relations Assistance at Inspire. The first time I heard Maria Lucas speak, it was on a political podcast hosted by MP Garnet Genius, which featured Maria Lucas and Honorable Graydon Nicholas And the episode was on residential schools, reconciliation, and Indigenous Catholic relations. I was inspired by her authenticity. We are honored you're here with us today, Maria. Our student-led podcast team under the direction of Dr. Shelley Johnson, Makwa Masayat, Associate Professor at Thompson Rivers University and the Canada Research Chair of Indigenizing Higher Education, are extremely grateful for your time. Our mantra is humble. We come as learners to listen and privilege Indigenous oral traditions past, present, and future. Without further ado, it is time for me to listen to your opening remarks and we can go directly into our questions. Well, thank you so much for having me here today, Francis. I really appreciate Um, the opportunity to be able to speak with you today. Um, So I'm joining you virtually, but I'm actually currently situated uh, in Toronto, Ontario, um, which is uh, actually the land that's a a meeting place. It's a traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabeg, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit, and Métis peoples. Um, And it's also, Toronto is also actually covered by um, Treaty 13 with the uh, Mississaugas of the Credit. So that's where I'm coming from today. Um, And as you said, I myself uh, have a unique identity with a lot of intersectionality. I'm Black Métis. I was brought up in the Catholic tradition. I studied law at the University of Ottawa, uh, where I specialized in Aboriginal law and Indigenous legal traditions. And uh, now I'm a lawyer uh, looking and seeking to um, work in reconciliation in any way that I, I, I can be of service. Thank you, Maria. It's such an honor to actually see you across the screen and hear your voice. So thank you for being here with us. Although this episode is intended for equipping educators, I'm sure our, our faculty of law here at TRU will also benefit from your insights. And I'm sure your answers will, will reflect the legal lens through which you have been taught to understand these important topics. And I'm just going to go directly to our first question, but we'll read an excerpt from the United Nations page. The United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples 
also known as UNDRIP, was adopted by the General Assembly on on September 13 in 2007 by a majority of 144 states in favor and four votes against. And those countries were Australia, Canada, New Zealand, and the United States, and 11 abstentions. Years later, the four countries that voted against have reversed their position and now supported the UN declaration. Today, the declaration is the most comprehensive international instrument on the rights of Indigenous peoples. It is It establishes a universal framework of minimum standards for the survival, the dignity, and well-being of the Indigenous people of the world, and it elaborates on existing human rights standards and fundamental freedoms as they apply to the specific situations of Indigenous people. So on June 16th of 2021, after decades of advocacy by First Nations, the Parliament of Canada passed the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People, formerly known as Bill C-15. The Act received royal assent on June 21st, 2021. So the Act set out Canada's obligation to uphold human rights, including treaties and inherent rights of Indigenous peoples that were affirmed in 2007 for UNDRIP. These include rights of self-determination and the rights to have treaties respected and enforced. So reflective educators with a growth mindset always ask what is being taught and how is it being taught? What and how should educators teach UNDRIP? Yeah, so in reflecting on this question, sort of giving my, given my context as um, a recent law student and, and a baby lawyer, <laughs> I, I had to think about what, what do I, how do I teach and how do I educate given my position, not as a teacher by profession, but as a lawyer by profession. And, and in lawyers, we do um, sort of provide, I guess you could say, public legal education in, in, in certain contexts, particularly if you work um, in the legal aid uh, space, um, which, I, which I do have um, a bit of a background in. Um, but I also have found myself, particularly over this past year, in conversations uh, and giving classes on sort of the history of Indigenous church and Indigenous Crown relations. And those those two relationships are not necessarily um, mutually independent of each other. Um, I think as we see with the, with the history of residential schools in Canada. So um, when I think about UNDRIP and what UNDRIP is, what it's meant to do and what it stands for, right? It, UNDRIP is, as you said, it articulates the minimum standards, the minimum standards. Okay, not the stars and the moon, but the minimum standards for the survival, dignity, and well-being of Indigenous peoples in the world. And so I think in order for educators to teach UNDRIP effectively, given that context and what it and what it articulates, I think that it's important that educators understand UNDRIP as the framework 
for reconciliation in Canada. And that's what the TRC calls for, right? It calls it it calls on all parties um, in different sectors of society, education, law, child welfare, church, state. It <laughs> requires all these parties to look to the to the declaration as the framework for reconciliation, as that roadmap um, in order to implement reconciliation going forward. And it also defines what reconciliation is. And I, and I think that's important because a lot of people might look at reconciliation as sort of this very elusive concept. Um, but the TRC says that reconciliation is an ongoing process of establishing and maintaining respectful relationships. And so when we look at UNDRIP, right, which is that framework for reconciliation, and as I said before, it establishes the minimum standards for the survival, dignity, and well-being of the Indigenous peoples of the world, um, it also elaborates on the existing human rights standards, right, the existing human rights standards and fundamental freedoms that apply to the specific situation of Indigenous peoples. So UNDRIP, it doesn't articulate special rights for Indigenous peoples. And I think this is something that um, is a misconception that many hold due to perhaps miseducation and misinformation. Um, but they're not, and UNDRIP are not special rights that Indigenous peoples hold. They are, the rights contained within UNDRIP articulates the human rights of Indigenous peoples as applied to their specific context. And history and contemporary times even show us that the human rights of Indigenous peoples have historically been violated and continue to be violated. Um, and we see this in the legacy of colonization here in Canada. We see this in the overrepresentation of Indigenous children in the child welfare system. right? And we see this in recent, recent um, court cases, uh, such as <clears throat> such as the Canadian Human Rights Tribunal's ruling of, of finding the federal government had actually discriminated against Indigenous children living on reserve by underfunding child and family services to children on reserve, and this led often led to the unnecessary removal of many Indigenous children from their homes, and therefore removal from their families in very much the same way that residential schools um, remove children from their families. Um, this decision ultimately was judicially reviewed by the federal court. Um, the parties in the case went through negotiations last fall and came to an agreement in principle earlier this year. Um, and I believe it was early January that the federal government announced a $40 billion commitment, $40 billion commitment um, to, to rectify the harm done as a result of its um, discriminatory practices. So that's just an example of how the human rights of, of Indigenous peoples, even now, literally right now, continue to be um, continue to be violated and UNDRIP is necessary in rectifying it because it articulates the Indigenous, the human rights of Indigenous peoples as applied in their specific context. Um, 
And I think in Canada in particular, I think justice requires um, that Indigenous rights be paid a particular attention, um, especially when the lived reality of Indigenous peoples is taken into consideration. And again, I think education is a medium through which um, people can learn about what these lived realities are, right? And it's the medium through which they can learn this history is a medium through which that they, they can um, sort of come to understand, right? It can foster that intercultural understanding um, between Indigenous and non-Indigenous uh, Canadians. Thank you so much. So I, I didn't know how Undripped played the role with, in relation to truth and reconciliation until I was in the Indigenous research course with, uh, with Dr. Mukwet Masayat. So I was just learning it just last year. So I'm more familiar, but a lot of our, a lot of Canadians still don't know. So thank you for, for sharing that, sharing that with us. And I'm going to go directly to our second question. And it's, in regards to what you said, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. So for those who don't know, and you're just tuning in and you're learning about the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of Canada, it was held between 2009 to 2015. And it emerged through the bravery and resilience of residential school survivors. And they share their personal testimonies. Over 80,000 experiences were documented with the hopes to begin healing from the seven generations of residential schools. So the commissioners completed their final reports in 2015 on the histories and the stories of residential school survivors, as well as a document suggesting 94 calls to action to advance the process of reconciliation between Indigenous and non-Indigenous people, just what Maria was mentioning. So the question is, how do you think the recent papal apology will inform the implementation of calls to action number 60, which calls upon church leaders and institutions in partnership with Indigenous communities to promote intercultural and interreligious understanding. Yes. Um, well, in, in reflecting on in reflecting on this question, I was reflecting on the words of the Pope or or the Holy Father. Um, so I actually went back to read um, what's been what's been dubbed an, an an apology. And so first, I think. I just want to acknowledge that I think hearing the Holy Father say, I am very sorry, I am very sorry, was significant for many residential school survivors to hear, even if it's been too long, even if those words were meant to be heard sooner. Um, I heard one residential school survivor um, express what his reaction was to, uh, to the words of the Holy Father, and he I think it provided an avenue for for healing in a way. He says, I am I'm thankful to hear them. But at the same time, it's that six-year-old boy inside of him who needed to hear it, right? And who was still carrying the scars of the trauma that he went through. So I I do acknowledge that hearing the, the Holy Father say, I'm very sorry, was very significant. 
Um, but I also acknowledge that not all accept what the Holy Father said as an apology. Not all, mm-hmm. not all accept will accept it as enough or have accepted it as enough. Um, some found it lacking because he failed to um, address the complicity of the church in residential schools as an institution. Um, so that was a point of contention for some. And quite notably, there was no mention of the doctrine of discovery and a definitive repudiation of this doctrine, which is really the the sort of foundation and justification for colonization and the taking over of indigenous lands. Um, and these concepts, the concept of the doctrine of discovery and ternelius, which means no man's land, um, find, they find their origins in papal bulls from the 1400s. So there wasn't any engagement with that either. Um, however, the Pope is supposed to be coming to Canada in, in the summer. And it's my hope that um, this, this, this is words on this topic are, are, they're not definitive. I think we're, I think we'll hear more from the Holy Father on this. Um, so while I'm aware of these critiques, and I just wanted to raise them because I know that they are out there and, and, and justifiably so, um, I know I can't address them at length in this, in this podcast. Um, but in just talking about the recent papal apology, I, I, I felt like I couldn't talk about it without acknowledging um, that part of the conversation. But I also want to note two sentiments uh, in particular uh, that really stood out to me uh, in the, and the words that the Holy Father had expressed and that I think will be helpful in promoting intercultural and interreligious understanding and, and, and ultimately call to action number number 60. Um, and I think within that context, right, in promoting that intercultural and interreligious understanding, that's where you can address issues and topics like the doctrine of discovery and, and terra nullius. So one thing that the Holy Father had said was, uh, quote, clearly the content of the faith cannot be transmitted in a way contrary to the faith itself. Right? Clearly the content of the faith cannot be transmitted in a way that is contrary to the faith itself. Um, so that really resonated with me because how is, you know, we talk about interreligious dialogue or interreligious understanding from a Catholic perspective and standpoint and position. How do we mission, right? How do we evangelize? And love is that medium through which we are to do that. We're called to share our faith with love. We are always called to propose what we believe to be true and never impose it, ever. (laughs) Um, And that actually serves to foster dialogue and conversation because in that process, you are loving the other person, you are respecting their freedom. Um, and you are genuinely invested in wanting to know what their position position is. Um, so these precepts of love, freedom, respect, they form the content of our faith and I think must inform, obviously, the, the implementation of uh, call to action number 60. 
Um, and so to keeping very much in mind what uh, the Holy Father had said, that the content of the faith cannot be transmitted in a way contrary to the faith itself. Uh, the Holy Father also said that the spirit of the Lord is revealed in humility. The humiliation of the church is fruitfulness. And it was sort of how he concluded his, um, his address. And uh, that really resonated with me because I think humility must inform our, our approach to intercultural and interreligious dialogue and understanding. In my view, humility is what permits um, it's what permits openness to perspectives that may differ from yours, but it's also what may permit you to see intersectionality as well. And um, so, if one, yeah, I, I do believe if one lacks humility and therefore op openness, you're going to lack an ability to be able to understand. Um, so, for me how I try to put this into, into practice, I guess you could say, in my own personal life and journey um, is, is through sort of my navigation of reconciliation, both professionally, but also um, personally and spiritually in an, on an interior level as well. Um, sort of looking at my various identities and seeing those points of intersectionality, seeing those points of um, harmony and unification. Um, and I'm not gonna say that it's been a journey that's been all like roses and it's been super easy and it's always harmonious. No, it's, it's often, I'm often trying to find, um, to learn to live in the tension of it all. Um, and I think it's led to, as one of my friends put it, led to the shaping of my mind um, like a diamond. That's what she says. She says, your mind's like a diamond. It's, you see things through many different prisms. And I think it's because I hold um, a lot of different uh, identities that I've, it's for, in order for me to be able to survive and thrive as a healthy human being, um, I've had to, uh, attempt to see things through many different prisms and I've had to do so with a lot of humility because I always approach uh, this journey uh, as a learner, as a student. Uh, and it helps to enrich my, um, my own being, myself, my, my life. And so I think these print, these principles, of humility, love, respect, freedom, all of that needs to inform any conversation we have with each other around inter-religious and inter-cultural uh, dialogue and understanding. I, I love that. I love how you said uh, the diamond and through the lens. Um, that is going to be forever in my mind as I approach reconciliation um, in, in my ways as uh, an educator, as a student, as a mother, mm -hmm. as a researcher, as a Catholic, um, that will be forever with me because it's true that you can't, it, it's one's totality of how you were raised, but then to, with humility to look and just examine like what, what 
part was broken and what can be fixed and what can be um, through through being more humble and just understand like there there's some things mm-hmm. that need to be fine-tuned and how so thank you for that analogy I love that I will take that with me um, and share that quoting you of course <laughs> well you have to thank my friend <laughs> credit to my friend who uh who uh it was it was quite the compliment <laughs> I could I when I received it I said whoa wow um a diamond that's that's very precious I so it's something that I I always carry with me and hold dear Thank you, Maria, for that. Um, if it's okay, if we can go to the to the last question. Okay, so for faculty members in education and social work and the faculty of law here at the university listening, what advice can you give them in helping their diverse student population like better understand their role in truth and reconciliation? Well, I think the only advice that I can give is is forwarding the advice that's been given to me and that's been um, that's really resonated with me. Um, for with and who and this is advice that comes from people who have been walking the the path of reconciliation much much longer than than I have. Um, but one thing that I had had learned uh, from someone on this journey is that. He said, it's hard to be reconciled if you don't know with whom or what needs reconciling. How do you, how can you be reconciled if you don't know with whom you need to be reconciled with? And how can you be reconciled if you don't know what needs to be reconciled? And I said, yeah. And again, this goes back to the point of education, right? You need to, you need to be informed of the history, you need to be informed of the context. And that's, I think, a very significant part of the puzzle, right? And I think even um, Senator, former Senator Murray Sinclair had said, you know, education is what got us into this mess and it's what's going to get us out, mm-hmm. right? And so, and it doesn't necessarily mean um, formal education in terms of taking a class, although that can be very helpful because it provides, I think, a community of learning. Um, but you can also do your own research and your own self-study. And I always encourage people to, to do their own self-study. Um, and there's so many different mediums that you can, that you can access um, in order to inform yourself on this history and the legacy and, and what continues to happen uh, in this country when it comes to um, uh, the protection and promotion of, of indigenous rights or lack thereof uh, in many circumstances. Um, so I'm thinking uh, in terms of resources, uh, you know, we have the TRC <laughs> multi-volume report, right? On, uh, uh, which is quite comprehensive on the history and legacy of residential schools and uh, even what came before. Uh, we have the RCAP, the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples. I think some people may think that reconciliation started with the TRC, but we have a lot of documentation over the years um, through a a series of studies and reports that have been done uh, that have pointed to the need for reconciliation in this country. Um, And I, of course, I also encourage um, listening to the testimonies of residential school survivors um, because they really 
it's one thing to read facts in a book, um, but it's another thing to hear those facts humanized and articulated by somebody who lived it. And that's what will stay with you uh, more, I think more so than any, um, any fact that you could read. Um, I also would suggest like when we go back, when it's you know safe to go back to in-person gatherings to attend a powwow uh, that's open to the public or go to a national indigenous people's day event in June um, and just learn uh, about indigenous culture and ways of being, listen to indigenous music, traditional and contemporary, or a compilation of both <laughs> traditional and contemporary. There's indigenous artists who will do uh, a mixture of the two. And it's very, uh, it makes for really great listening. <laughs> um, like do take a bit, take advantage of the opportunities that are out there to learn about indigenous people, to learn about our culture, to learn about our history, yes but also to learn about who we are today, like indigenous culture and ways of being are not these sort of frozen in time uh, sort of notions, right? We, we live today, <laughs> we are continuing to thrive. Yes, we've faced a lot of injustice, but I've never met an indigenous person who defines themselves individually or collectively as that we're not defined by the injustice that's been inflicted upon us. In my view, <clears throat> our story is one of resilience and strength and self-determination. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it's a survivor story in many ways. Um, and for me, very much a source of, of pride in that respect, that despite, despite the very targeted efforts to eradicate, we still stand strong. So it's my hope um, that in our current context, all of those who have come to Canada or will come to Canada from various diverse backgrounds can come to know our powerful story and the beauty that we hold in our cultures and the way of being and in doing that, it's my hope that they can come to know with whom and with what needs reconciling. And perhaps also discover their role too in it too, in, 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 in truth and reconciliation. Wow, thank you so much, Maria. I, I think that's where the perspective that I've um, been experiencing this past year is where do I fit in all of this? And I had the privilege of just come to understand where do I fit in finding a melody towards reconciliation as a graduate student, as a, as a mother, as, as a Catholic, and as an educator, where do I fit in all of this? And, and this was how this podcast transpired is we want to just come as learners and to just listen, fine tune and listen. So this wraps up our podcast, but we are so grateful, and I genuinely thank you on behalf of our student-led podcast team, uh, Dr. Makwit Masayat and Thompson Rivers University, Kachechem, which means thank you, in Shikwekmashin and Migwich, and in Tagalog, in Filipino, we say maraming salamat, uh, mabuhay, which means 
long live. So thank you very much, Maria. And I wish you all the very best in your endeavors. Thank you, Francis. Miigwech. The Indigenous podcast series speaks to issues of concern for Indigenous people and non-Indigenous people in Canada. If you are an Indian residential school survivor, or you are the descendant of an Indian residential school survivor, and feel that you would benefit from discussion with a counselor or someone providing support following this podcast, please call 1-800-721-0066, which is the Indian Residential School Survivor Society, and ask for support. Again, that number is 1-800-721-0066. To schedule a counseling appointment, if you're a student at Thompson Rivers University, you can drop in to the Faculty of Student Development Services, reception between 8.30 and 4, Monday to Friday in Old Main, 1631, or you can call 250-828-5023.